Three by three, it's Kelly Wan's pick of what? What is the three by three, Kelly Wan? Puns. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian McCloskey. Uh, it's Java. And with a tongue tagline, using his own tongue to say it, Kelly Wan. <laughs> the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. Was that Shakespeare? Uh, some guy. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, one. Before we talk about your three by three, though, I have a very important question to ask you, and that question is: What's a movie that you saw this week? Wait, I had another tongue one. Oh, Kelly, one. Is there a second tagline for tongues? I don't know where I learned that elephants like their tongues slapped. Whatever turns you on, Betty White. That one hey, I could tell wasn't Shakespeare. <laughs> now, Kelly, one. Can I ask you this question? You would have said it more metaphorically. Yeah. What is a movie that you saw this week? I watched the Chinese movie, The Wandering Earth. Ah, right. Sushin Lu, right. Uh, I don't think you'd like it, actually, because it's kind of schmaltzy. Okay. But I was going to tell you three body, three body problem, it. not schmaltzy. Yeah, and in the story's not. In the story, okay, the... Well, real quick, tell the lot. tell the listeners and Dingus, uh, what's the basics? Tell, <laughs> what is this that you watched? Because I don't think Dingus is is in on this with us. It's a Chinese movie that made a ton of money in China called The Wandering Earth, based on a short story by a guy named C. Oh, that guy told me how to pronounce it too. He wrote in. I always thought it was Cixin Lu, right? Cixin. That, that's right. That is yeah. right. It's like Sersha. So it's that's my mnemonic device. So yeah, it's say it again. Cixin uh, Lu. I forgot my mnemonic device. Cixin <laughs> Lu. Yeah, so he wrote the Three Body Problem trilogy, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think each one gets better than the next one of that. So the Three Body Problems, like the, it's like kind of the hardest one to get into, I think. So a lot of people quit. They should keep going. But anyway, you read the second one. You went, eh, you liked it, right? No, I like it, and I intend to finish it. I'm only two thirds of the way through the trilogy. So I'd actually worried a little bit that Wandering Earth was something from three-body problem i didn't no. know that it was a separate short story so i'm glad to hear that so okay it's not even like the short story because the uh the premise is that the, the scientists figure out the sun's expanding so they put a bunch of jets on the earth and they fly it off <laughs> you made that to go up. to another that's no, that's not that's true water earth and they're going to a different star system wait how is the earth going to survive in the vacuum of space without any sunlight they have to go underground oh okay so it kills, and, and so the story's filled with all these, uh, uh, like, destructive images that aren't even in the movie at all. Like, all the animals die and all the, all the plant life, which is kind of a bummer. They don't cover that in the movie. But in and the, the story, Earth, is, it's just going to take, like, thousands of generations to get where, where it's going, and they have to spend them under the Earth? Is that the idea? Or maybe you shouldn't yeah. tell me because these are spoilers. Uh, well, that's – okay. That's what's supposed to happen, but they accidentally fly the Earth into <laughs> Jupiter. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> who so let the, who was really driving <laughs> i know right and that's funny because the main character in the movie is like a teenager who can't drive a truck and he's like comically almost crashing into people and trucks and even at the end when he's supposed to be an expert he's crashing into it comically. but in the story uh at the beginning the dad of the family's like and they cover like a hundred years of it and the movie's just like one dumb thing that happens briefly <laughs> told you know but it's like 
in the in the in the story, the dad's like, "Hey, by the way, I really like our kid's teacher. I'm gonna go uh, bang her for six months. See you guys later." And they're like, "All right, cool." And they don't care because, like, yeah, in apocalypse world, you don't care about that stuff. Anymore. But then at the end, can I spoil the story for you? You can, yes. Dingus, are you okay end, with this? With the 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 short story being spoiled? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. It's not in the movie. Uh, they the earth the sun doesn't expand. And so they go, fucking scientists, and they round up all the scientists, and they execute them. And then after they execute the scientists, the sun does expand. And they're like, oh, man, we're dicks. So they make a monument to the scientists. But that's how the story ends. Like, there's some Jupiter shenanigans, too. But they didn't put that in the movie. Like, I, was, I can't wait to see how that's replicated. Of course, they us out. It's just a family trying to, like, turn levers and shit. It's so like how is the... So is the movie basically that uh, Roland Emmerich 2012 kind of thing? Yeah, like that kind it's of movie. A disaster okay. movie, uh, yeah. but it's kind of boring because they're all they're usually like uh, there's some good shots of Jupiter sucking the Earth's atmosphere away. That's the issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or somehow did losing this, the atmosphere. Did the salinity levels change? Yeah, so they have to blow up. They have to shoot one of the jets into Jupiter's red spot. <laughs> Ouch. And blow it up so it knocks Earth away. Yeah, it's good. I, I mean, it sounds cool visually, but in the movie, it's just a lot of shit. Like, there's a character named Grandpa, and they go, "Grandpa, no!" And then a guy dies saving Grandpa, and then by like slinging him into an elevator shaft, and the Grandpa's all, "By the way, I'm out of oxygen. Sorry, kids." And he pre-space suicides like Tim Robbins, edition of ours, and he dies right after. I, I find it really difficult in disaster movies like this to justify increasingly. If, if a movie is about this huge global or, or even citywide cataclysm, and the movie's focusing on just you know the three members of a family or something, like it just feels yeah. so forced. Like okay, yeah, exactly. Like San Andreas, like here are the ones you're supposed to care about. Uh, there's a there's a director. He did the Tomb Raider movie, and before he did the Tomb Raider movie, he has a fun name to say. Uh, Roar Uthag or Uthrag, something like that. But before then, he did a movie called The Wave, which is about a tidal wave in one of the fjords in Norway. And, and it, it, the tidal wave, and you know, it's one of those movies that should be over in five seconds. But it, it's all about the family, and the, some members of the family get trapped underwater in a basement of a hotel, and they have to get out and survive. They never and, die either. It's boring. Well, here's the deal. So Roar yeah. Uthag does a sequel to uh, uh, The Wave called The Quake. <laughs> which is about an earthquake that afflicts the same family. You know, first they're in a tidal uh, wave. Like Die Hard, yeah. And exactly, like, exactly. <laughs> or um, like Sherlock, like uh, Murder, She Wrote Lady, wherever she goes. Wherever she goes, there's a murder, right. Well, wherever yeah, so this family goes, there's, a, there's enormous <laughs> natural cataclysm, and it's only the main character who's a, a, a super Tree. smart... Yeah, yeah, he's like a geologist, and he's right, and everyone else is always wrong. So in the city, as soon right. as like there's a there's a little brief tremor, he's like, oh, f- well, there's going to be a huge earthquake. Everybody has to evacuate. And people are like, no, no, you might have been right about the tidal wave, but you don't know about this. So it's all about how he's right, and then at the end of the movie, the big earthquake strikes, and there's peril that happens to his family. But this might be a spoiler. To the movie's credit, I mean, the movie's immensely dumb, but to its credit, it does at least kill one person who you think it's not going to kill. So oh. it's got that going for it. What a low bar, then. Exactly. It, at least in those stupid Irwin Allen movies, it was a bunch of idiots. 
Well, right, and even died. even good guys would die. Yeah, yeah. yeah even people are like, out. no, don't kill that person. Yeah, right, exactly. That yeah. made it more suspenseful, and right. it makes the future movies more suspenseful. But now nobody dies, and there's kids running around everywhere. There used to be one kid per one of these movies. So I'm so Sorry. sorry to hear that Wandering Earth, though, is like that and not a huge, thoughtful Chinese epic that, that I was hoping yeah, it would Yeah, no one interesting dies either. It doesn't do what you just said. Right. Uh, but And it's kind of slow, actually. But yeah. Yeah, that's, I know. That's that, not what that's you what want in your epic. I yeah. wasn't going to ruin it if I liked it, but I didn't think right. anyone – I can't – like there's all just tons of scenes of guys driving in snow. Right. Right. Wait, why are, why are there scenes of guys driving in snow? Well, how is that <laughs> – They have to get to the jet to put the reactor core into it. So they're driving on trucks. They have like these giant catwalks. They go outside. It's just cold. Snow right. everywhere. It's so dumb. I don't is, know. I is, like his. Still, there's one shot of a of an angry soldier. He gets mad at Jupiter and he shoots a machine gun at it. That <laughs> <laughs> like that. That's kind of Michael Bay. Where I was kind of hoping the whole movie would be that dumb, but it's not. okay. Sorry. Right. Wandering Earth. I was hoping the whole movie would be that dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's too. There's a lot. There's a scene where a girl gives a, a speech about hope after they've all given it up. The side is like, she's right. Let's go back and figure this out. You're the end. Her name's Duo Duo. Her name's Duo twice. So her name is Four. Right. <laughs> Dingus, did you see something this week that's better or worse than The Wandering Earth? Oh, um, I like this game. I, <laughs> I, I think it was better. I think you guys will think it was worse, probably. Uh, I don't think it's a movie for the two of you. But wow, it, he's excluding it, both of us, Kelly Wong. Yeah. I, that could be anything at this point. There's yeah. a lot of things that we don't like. Yeah. Um, uh, here's a quote from it. Uh, horror. It's not, used, it's not horror. <laughs> it used to be you had to have talent to get published. Now you just have to shoot people. Um, and this is from a movie called The Highwaymen. Oh, yeah. Uh, why, why do you yeah. think it's not for us? Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I thought you, you sort of uh, poo-pooed it because um, it's not Bonnie and Clyde. No, that's one of that's I think it's strength. Uh, yeah. On the oh, okay, yeah. good. All right. All right. Well, tell us uh, about what is this Highwayman movie? Kelly One, you haven't seen this, right? No, I'll watch it if Dingus. All right. Well, uh, Dingus, tell, tell Kelly One some basics. I'm actually pretty crazy about it. I, I liked it a lot. Uh, it has uh, – and I, I would love to hear Kelly One do the impersonations of oh, it's Kevin Sinatra. Costner. And, and Woody Harrelson. Yeah. And Woody Harrelson. Oh, Costner's in it? Yeah. It's a Costner movie. I would, I would argue it's a Kevin Costner vehicle. Yeah, I, I would argue the same thing. And it's it's uh, actually directed by a dude named John Lee Hancock who wrote A Perfect World, uh, which um, – That's a good Costner. Uh, well, it's it, it, he's good in it, but it's painful to watch because it's an East, uh, Clint Eastwood movie. But he directed – Clint Eastwood it. directed Perfect World? Yeah. Ew. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty painful. To watch um but this is a a decent version of that and i really like the perspective change because basically it's about uh it's about the texas rangers have been decommissioned and um what's his name john uh bridgman no john <laughs> carroll morris john carroll lynch the john actor carroll lynch, yeah, yeah 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 uh saying look uh you need to get these two guys, or you need to get this guy, Kevin Costner's character, uh, to go after Bonnie and Clyde because he can track them. And he and since you've decommissioned the uh, 
the Texas Rangers, you need to recommission them. And they offer him like um, like 130 bucks a month to do it. But he's married well, uh, as they say. Biggest, how did you feel about Kim Dickens and Kevin Costner as a married couple? I didn't really believe it. Um, it because of an age thing or something or what? Like what? What was weird about that for you? Because it was weird. Make vehicles. I just don't believe that she would marry him. <laughs> I, hey, what? I believe she'd marry somebody who would go to the Kentucky Derby with her every year. This picture. Um, so when when it first showed him, I didn't know if she was supposed to be his daughter. Even just because oh, Kim okay. Kim Dickens is beautiful. Kim Dickens is fifty three, by the way. Like she, age wise, there's nothing unusual about her being married to Kevin Costner. But she just looks like she could be playing his daughter, and he could be. So that was what was weird for for me. But I love her. But okay. Yeah, I, I do love her. But I, I was more interested in the class structure than I was in the age structure. Ah, I see. Sure, sure. Um, because he is clearly of a different class than she is. And they play that uh, up. I mean, they definitely make yeah. it clear that yeah, yeah. And so it's a movie that uh, that basically tracks um, literally uh, the idea of these two highwaymen, uh, Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson's characters, uh, as they track Bonnie and Clyde. Um, And it barely shows Bonnie and Clyde. It's just base. It's it's like uh, and this is the thing I love about it is that it's kind of a. It's almost like a he said, she said kind of a movie. It's uh, it's as if Bonnie and Clyde were shot from their point of view rather than the other point of view. Um, watching Bonnie and Clyde's a little weird now, actually, for me. Uh, it's good, but it's still weird uh, watching <laughs> it. I, I, it's I, long. I, I it's, it feels uh, longer now. It, it, it feels very long. Um it's Arthur Penn, I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, and it just, I don't know. It just, it doesn't quite sit right. I don't know why. Uh, I really liked the Highwaymen though, because I like the way that it comes at the story from a different angle. I like the chemistry between Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner yeah. a yeah. whole lot. Uh, and the way that they're pretty much playing these older guys who can't do the things they used to be able to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, like jumping over a fence or something, uh, or chasing after a kid. Uh, and they're not afraid of that. And they're not afraid to show their age. Kevin Costner looks, looks like an older man, um, with a crinkled old face and, uh, a weary body. Um, not a nice one. And uh, <laughs> how nice is his body? Dingus. Does he have a nice body still? Dingus is uh, always paying attention. <laughs> well, you know, I would cuddle up to him, but I don't know if I would go further than that. Uh, I I just thought I just thought it was really really well done, and and it doesn't surprise me at all that John Lee Hancock wrote A Perfect World, and then asked Kevin Costner to do this. Uh, it's just a, a really interesting take, and it's something that I've I I thought about. Not this particular story, but something that I thought about when I was younger about, you know, what if you take a movie and you just flip it and take it from the other direction, even if it were Star Wars or something, um, and make then rather than um, well, now the we know. way that, now. That, that some movies glorify uh, criminals, uh, have them not be glorified. 
Um, and but it it also has it also has an an interesting amount of social commentary as far as how the media works, uh, how important that is to what they have to do, and um, and the economic structure of the country, uh, including migrants. Um, I, I I just found it overall to be a fascinating movie. Why is it not for Kelly Wand? I think I would. Well, yeah. Why would you say it's not for Kelly Wand? And I'm because disappointed I, you think it's not for me, Dingus. Dead gummit. Well, well, be, because I think <laughs> that you guys would prefer something that's more of a '60s or '70s movie than this kind of movie. I, I uh, would. It, it has it has a little bit of a TV executions feel. everything. It has a little bit of a TV feel at the beginning. Kelly Wand, it's from the director of The Blind Side, if that tells you anything. Uh, Because I think that might be – and that's partly – maybe that's what you're getting at, Dingus. But I think it's got a little bit of schmaltz to it. Like I think there's uh, – it's not not as weathered as I think Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson deserve. Uh, Uh, It just feels a little bit too – just wholesome, I, I think, especially Waterworld's cons- gritty. <laughs> especially <laughs> considering how they're they're playing with this idea of of how Bonnie and Clyde are really monsters, and they're not. It doesn't want to show their face, and I I, I think it's 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 you know this idea that these people are hunting horrific monsters who the public is falling in love with. Uh, there's just a little bit too much of a. Old guys being redeemed element to it there. And and here's Dingus where I really broke up with the movie and flipped it off and almost didn't want to watch the rest of it. My favorite scene in this movie, I don't think this is a spoiler, uh, because I love this guy and I love how he's playing against type in this one scene, is that at a certain point Kevin Costner goes into the town where Bonnie and Clyde are from. He goes in the garage uh, uh, to get gas or something. And the guy who's working in the garage, uh, it, it turns out, is, is uh, Clyde... What's Clyde's last? Barrow's uh, dad. William and, Forsyth. Uh, pardon? William Forsyth. No, William Sadler. William uh, Sadler, sorry. And, and William Sadler recognizes him and says, I know who you are. You're hunting for my boy. And it's an amazing scene for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, the writing is great. Two, William Sadler as a good guy. Like, William Sadler plays bad guys way too often, but he's such a he's such a good-natured, like, kind fella. And when he lets his face soften like he does in that scene, uh, and you remember, too, what a goofball he was in Bill and Ted, uh, he's just letting William Sadler be a nice, kind, sympathetic fella just works wonders, I think. And it's a great scene, but here was my problem with the movie, is I don't think the movie let go of being about Kevin Costner at that point. The scene should be all about William Sadler's character, and it's written that way, but I don't think John Lee Hancock realized that at that point, the movie stops being about Kevin Costner's character, and it's about Clyde Barrow's father. And and just the dynamics of it, and to be honest, I don't even remember specifics, I just remember coming into that scene and thinking, you know, the director didn't know, and nobody told Kevin Costner, look, this scene is not about you. It's about this other guy. Uh, and I, I feel that that's... This, you know, there's a certain kind of movie where the, narr- the the protagonist is always the main character and it's always going to be about him. Uh, and I just had a problem with the way that that one great scene was kind of engineered, I think. Um, it's interesting that you say that because I, I guess I would tend to disagree because I think that the scene tends to linger on him. Um, oh, no, no, it gives him plenty of time. You're right. Yeah. And I, I should I don't want to make I don't want to make it seem like that. Uh, and you're right. It, you can't come away with that scene without being struck by it. And certainly without being struck by William Sadler. Uh, right. 
So yeah, it does. It, it's just I, I just felt like Kevin Costner was was a little bit too much of a I don't know. Maybe he was too big of a star. Or maybe I don't know. I don't know. I just felt weird about well, Kevin Costner. Also, you know, mm-hmm. he's also calling the dad on on some of his bullshit. To be honest, I mean, he's saying, well, he was never a dark kid. I don't know what happened to him, and uh, he only stole a chicken. Maybe he was just hungry. You know, and Kevin Costner's like, there's got to be more to it. That starts the gateway. Um, Which I think, too. Go ahead. You you have to be honest with yourself. It's I think what what's happening in that scene, and uh, and William Sadler's character is trying to be as honest as he can about it, but also feeling I think a great deal of grief and guilt about the fact that you know I'm going to lose my kid. Right, right. And I guess I didn't want uh, to see this character reprimanded at that point. Like, I didn't uh, want him yeah, okay. called out on his bullshit. You know, he's a tragic figure in a way. Like, he knows what his son has become, and he knows what his son's destiny is going to be, what's going to happen to him. And he's having to, like, pre-grieve the loss of his son in a way. Uh, so I just feel like, in a, in a way, like, Kevin Costner's character didn't even need to say anything to him. I just wanted to meet this character uh. and, and let him talk. Uh so it, it's just a it, it, in that regard, I think you're right, Dingus, in that the movie might not be for me just because it want it's too much in love. I think with Kevin Costner as its main character, which is a perfectly good actor to be in love with as your main character. Yeah, spoil yeah. sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. President uh, Clinton. What? I'm glad you brought up that scene, Tom, because I I love that sense of um, just this sad resignation yeah. that he has, yeah. and. Uh, but his his sense of this is what's realistic. This is what's going to happen. Uh, I wish it weren't, but that's that's just the deal. Uh, after watching that movie and being struck by that scene, I, I forgot how, but I somehow ended up on a video of William Sadler playing a country song that he had written uh, huh. at some sort of a live live show, and it, it, it's like a. It's a song about – I don't understand, but it's a song about how he can only play in the key of C or something like that. Like it's a jokey folk song, and he's just so adorable and charming, and he's laughing with the audience, and he just seems like such a great, nice guy that you want to have a beer with and not the villain from a Die Hard movie. <laughs> right, uh, right, yeah. The, him doing the Tai Chi at the beginning of Die Hard 2 right, is, right. is not the kind of person <laughs> that I think he is because – he he does seem like an affable fellow. Yeah, but he's and, got that face thing. Is he's got that like granite face where he's yeah. totally be a great bad guy. Yeah. I drink with Rickman though. Oh, who wouldn't, Kelly? Wan? way to bring the room down. Yeah. Clay. <laughs> well, this week I actually I'm going to tell you guys about two movies, and I'm not even going to cheat because one of the movies is a remake of the previous movie. I saw something that was finally available for streaming this week that I wanted to see in theaters, didn't get around to it. Uh, A movie with Liam Neeson called Cold Pursuit, which I didn't realize was a comedy, but when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is totally a black comedy. And then after seeing it, I also didn't realize this, it's a remake of a Norwegian movie, which is called, when it's uh, the the English release, it was called In Order of Disappearance, but in the original Norwegian, it's called Idiotkraften, which is a word referring to someone who's recklessly idiotic. Um, But it's basically a Liam Neeson movie called Cold Pursuit. It's a remake of a Norwegian movie, and they had the same director do both movies. This guy does this movie in Norway that I presume is successful enough or gets optioned in the U.S. They bring him over to do a remake of it with Liam Neeson. 
So I watched both of these. And <laughs> so Kelly, on you never saw Cold Pursuit, right? No. And Dingus, I know you didn't, right? I only see the one-word title, the <laughs> Dingus, you didn't see this, right? Do we lose Dingus again? No, I did not. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's just. Ding it! Come in, Dingus. Dingus, come in. Understandable. Um, so, uh, Cold Pursuit, straight up black comedy. My observation coming away from Cold Pursuit before I knew it was a remake is, boy, somebody sure does love the Coen Brothers, um, because that's kind of its approach. And you could even look at it as Fargo, a, a version of Fargo set in the Rockies. It's set in a, in a Denver. It's in the, the environs around Denver. Uh, and it's got a whole Fargo wackiness where there's misunderstandings among criminals and normal guys caught up in it and, li- and moments of uh, violence. But it's all played kind of for dark humor. Um, so, and, and not to say that's a criticism because it's decent. It's, it's pretty funny. And I like Liam Neeson in a comedic role like this. However, what's striking to me is the original Norwegian movie – not a comedy at all. It's uh, completely earnest. It's a it's a it's a revenge story about a normal guy whose son gets murdered uh, over a bag of stolen drugs, and the son's not really involved. It's just a friend of his. He was wrong place, wrong time. He gets murdered. So the son's father, who just drives a snowplow, he's just a city worker, uh, goes on a rampage, murdering everyone who is responsible, even peripherally, for his son's death. And he's working his way up the ranks to the whole the crime boss. And the movie is about this normal man, and we meet the crime boss, and eventually they're going to meet, and there's going to be some kind of a showdown. Uh, and the, the Norwegian movie is pretty earnest. Uh, there's no jokes in it. Uh, it's dark at times. And t- it's you like might... a reverse Lou Grant. Uh, I don't know. Lou Grant? Yeah, Mary Tyler Moore was like a sitcom comedy, and then he makes a serious show. Oh, I didn't know that. Kelly Wand, I, yeah, I think that would be lost on a lot of people who, who didn't watch that show, but thanks for – Scarical care. <laughs> uh, so uh, so they, they take this earnest uh, Norwegian crime drama, which actually isn't that good. It's a bit long. Uh, it gets convoluted. Uh, it's not that convincing how things spin out. And they bring this guy over, and they're like, hey, make this in America. They actually tried to shoot in Canada, but were turned down for reasons I'll tell you about in a minute. Make this in America. Uh-huh. We're going to give you Liam Neeson, and we're also going to give you an English-language script that's written, I presume, as a black comedy. So uh-huh. that's what they shoot, but they have some problems. So first of all, uh, Idiot Crafton is set in Norway, and it actually uh, has some undercurrents about – it has some political undercurrents that would be unique to Norway about immigrants, uh, about Norway as a welfare state. Uh, these aren't parts that are hit hard, but they're definitely missing when it comes to the, the U.S. version. They, they scrub that stuff out. Furthermore, the villains in this – there's the, the normal guy, and there's the local drug lord, and they're going to clash, but then there has to be some criminal misunderstanding, a comedy of errors. So the villains here are Serbian uh, drug dealers who share territory with uh, the, the local Norwegians. Uh, in the U.S. version, it's Denver, uh, the, the local Denver drug lord, and the comedy of errors takes place with American Indian drug dealers. Uh, so they swap out Serbs for American Indians, which uh, is a little odd, uh, and I, I'm not sure what it adds uh, other than the opportunity for a few jokes. 
Um, for instance, when the American Indians come to a hotel because they have to check in, live in this town because they're now caught up in this, this back and forth of revenge and criminal stuff. So they have to come and stay in this town to deal with it. The American Indians come to a hotel and it's booked. It's full. It's a ski lodge. And the lady says, sorry, but you need a reservation. And uh, right. See, Dingus, can you see uh, where this is going? And the, the, the thug Indian drug dealers are like, excuse me. And so they leverage. Seinfeld joke. Exactly. Kelly Wand. And that's that's the kind of the humor like that verbatim. this that, that the American remake wants to play with. Uh, furthermore, these American Indians, when the Serbians come to Norway, and Bruno Ganz plays the lead Serbian crime boss, and it's really poignant seeing him because you know he's he's super old and broken down at this point, uh, but his character is supposed to be old and broken down, and there's there's something tragic about this guy getting caught up in this this criminal misunderstanding that destroys his family and his empire. So when the Serbs come to Norway, there's a scene where they're out at this ski resort, and they're on the slopes, and people are skiing around them, and poor little Bruno Ganz, playing this Serbian, is just enthralled at skiers, because in Serbia, apparently, they don't have skiing like this. Like, watching people whiz down the mountain is just miraculous to him. He's just amazed by it, and it's a really poignant shot, is this crime boss who doesn't understand recreational skiing and the joy and the speed of it, and he's watching people whiz past him. They shoot the East Pirate. They shoot the same scene, and there's a lot, by the way, in Cold Pursuit that's shot for shot from Idiot Crafton. They shoot the same scene with a local Native American watching skiers. It's like, why would skiing be like he's he's a Native American there in the Rockies? Why that would sounds like a, I'd watch that? Crazy. You'd watch what? Indian ski. Native no, American no, the Indians skiing? aren't skiing. It's supposed to be this local he's, – he's a Native American. He's from the area. The Serbians in the, the Norwegian movie have to come over from Serbia. Here, the Native Americans are part of a local reservation. Why is skiing such a big deal? The, the point is there's, there's supposed to be a poignant scene of this, this elderly Native American fella watching a skier and just being be, – just a sense of wonderment on his face. And I remember watching that. Because he's never seen a skier? Yeah, that's the idea. I'm thinking, that's kind of weird. Why are they shooting that? Okay, it's fine. But then realizing, oh, it's just because that's how they shot Bruno Gans, the Serbian character, in the Norwegian movie. They just want to get that shot again in the American movie. It, it uh, made no sense. So they didn't really – maybe he's a time-traveling Native American. Never I, I don't, the, the problem, too, with them being Native Americans is it I, – I get the feeling that the director – maybe thought he was making some kind of a point by plugging them in where he was making a point about Serbs and immigrants. I, I don't know. It felt very confused. But here's another example for how the American version needs to be a comedy, whereas the, the Norwegian version wasn't. Um, when uh, – it's Stellan Skarsgård, by the way, who's the lead in the Norwegian movie. Uh, when he has, has murdered a few of these drug dealers who were associated with his son's death, uh, he rolls their body in chicken wire and throws them into a, a river at the head of a giant, beautiful waterfall. And there are shots of the murdered people's bodies wrapped in the chicken wire going over the waterfall. Um, and at a certain point, he has to come to his uh, brother, from whom he's estranged, um, played by William uh, – well, in the – in the American movie, played by William Forsyth. In the Norwegian movie, played by a fellow I've never seen before, but he's great. So Stellan Skarsgård comes to his brother, and he says, look, I, I have murdered some people. I'm getting revenge for what happened to my son. I need to get further up this ladder of criminals. 
can you help me because I know that you used to have a you used to be involved in crime because they apparently split ways Stellan Skarsgård's character became an honest city employee his brother uh, was took up with criminals and and got rich somehow illegally and now he's just living large so Stellan Skarsgård comes to his brother who says I haven't seen you in forever and he says here's what's going on I need to find who are the higher-ups in, in this criminal enterprise. And the brother says to Stellan Skarsgård, uh, I don't think you can do this. You're not cut out for murder. You, you can't kill people. And then Stellan Skarsgård says, oh, but I, I already have. I, I've murdered several of them. I wrapped their body in chicken wire, and I threw them off the waterfall. And his brother looks at him with this kind of newfound respect, like, oh, maybe you can, and then he helps him. In the American movie, Liam Neeson comes to his brother, played by William Forsythe. It's the same situation. He says, look, I'm, I'm getting revenge. My son was murdered. I have to get further up the, the ladder of this criminal enterprise. You used to run in these circles. I need your help. William Forsythe says, you can't murder anyone. You, you don't know how to do that. Liam Neeson says, oh, but I already have. I've killed several of them. I wrapped their body in chicken wire and threw them over the, uh, the waterfall. And in both movies, by the way, he then explains why he did this, because then fish can eat away at the body without the body floating to the surface. And so he says this to William Forsythe, and instead of in the Norwegian movie, William Forsythe looking at him with newfound respect and then saying, okay, I'll help you with this, they have a beat, and they then have Liam Neeson say, uh, I read about it in crime novels. <laughs> They needed, to make, they needed to make a joke out of this character's ingenuity and intelligence, this idea that he's a competent, driven man. They needed to add a punchline to this idea where he's smart enough to know how to dispose of a body, but in the American version, they needed to, make it, they needed to be made clear to us that he only knows it from reading crime novels. Ha ha. So he's not smart. I don't even he, understand that he, line. This is a joke is, I don't get. <laughs> it's a joke that uh, that's that, that that how would a guy who drives a snowplow for a living know how to dispose of a body? You read in, about it on a snowplow. Well, in in the Norwegian version, we just have to take it on faith that he's a he's a he's a he's a smart guy. He he's he's got the ingenuity to figure this out to know this sort of thing. Right. In the American movie, it needs to be explained to the dumb audience. You know, was he with the CIA? Does he have a certain set of skills? Or, nope, this is a comedy. It's something he read about in a crime novel. Isn't that funny? Ha ha. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> I don't understand it. Furthermore, it, they make – Why would he do that? And why would he say that even if it's true? It also – Kelly Wand, it works great in the trailer. When they make the trailer and they make it clear that this is a comedy, <laughs> that line is in, in all the trailers that I watched for Cold Pursuit. Uh, Dude, I'd feel bad if I turned that line in. It's it's oh, really. I they, I'll fix that later. I mean, it's 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 kind of cute to see Liam Neeson because it, it, uh, part of the problem too with Cold Pursuit. That's what you want. Yeah. Part of the problem with Cold Pursuit is that the moment they cast Liam Neeson, they're casting the guy from Taken, from The Commuter, from Nonstop. I mean, there's a certain uh, expectation from a January release with Liam Neeson, and that's that it he's going to kick ass and take names, and he can handle a gun. With Stellan Skarsgård as a sort of a schlubby civil servant, and his wife is super dumpy, and like you don't know, you don't see Stellan, Stellan Skarsgård and know that he's going to go on a murderous rampage and that he's going to be able to kill people with his bare hands. That's how Idiot Crafton unfolds. But the moment you see Liam Neeson as your lead character, uh, I, I think you're losing any surprise or shock value or. Uh, yeah, cognitive dissonance cast. when he starts murdering people. It's like, of course it's what he's going to do. Yeah, exactly, Kelly Wan, typecasting. So I think they have to they, – they sort of decided to instead play it for a comedic angle. And what although I think it's, it's a bit of a betrayal of 
what certain things that worked in the Norwegian movie. I do have to say it kind of works because Cold Pursuit is kind of funny, and Liam Neeson is kind of funny. Except for that line. The line is kind of funny, watching Liam Neeson sheepishly explain to William Forsyth, uh, here's how I knew how to do that. Here's what he should have gone, I saw it on Chopped. Like, it's not even like a... What is is Chopped even? I don't know what that is. Is that another another Mary Tyler Moore spinoff, Kelly Wand? That's the only... I I saw it on Top Chef. Okay. So, like, it's chicken wire, he knows how to do it for me. Right, right. And so. make Tom laugh. All right, let's do his group. <laughs> so that's what I saw. Two movies, Norwegian uh, and uh, the American remake. So. Or crime novel. If he'd specified which crime novel it was, maybe that would have. Right, right. The comedy in the Gone Girl. Yeah, or he just tells you from another movie. So. Yeah, yeah. The specificity. Just... Yeah, specificity. The director's is going. Funny. See, the character knows the movie. <laughs> that movie exists in my universe. Uh, well, well, Jason is actually pretty funny. I mean, he's in that yeah that bit with uh, Ricky Gervais and um, Stephen Merchant or Stephen Merchant. I don't know how you say his name. Uh, where he is it Stephen? All right. Uh, where he's like saying that he wants to get into comedy and he's able to sort of play against his uh, play his type against itself sort of extras is he in extras yeah it's from extras why isn't he in more comedies like that that because he, he's funny he's funny he is he is yeah dark man exactly like dark man is funny. also it's funny when you have a big guy who's funny because that's kind of rare like it's like fast talk right right like or when you have like you a have... tall dude who's like bumping into shit, like he can. It's kind of good. But he he's also able to make fun of himself. I mean, yeah. that's a huge benefit to he has a... uh, to, to somebody of his stature. And that accent, it's funny as shit. The best he thing about he could touch it. The best thing about Cold Pursuit, which is completely absent in the Norwegian original, does either of you guys know an actor named Tom Bateman? Uh, no. bells. Uh, so I, I'd never heard of him before. I looked up some of the stuff he's been in. Uh, he's a British fellow. He's not British in Cold Pursuit. He's the villain in Cold Pursuit. And his counterpart in the Norwegian version is just a douchebag, annoying, nondescript Norwegian fella. I think he's a famous Norwegian actor. I didn't recognize him. But there's nothing remarkable about him in, in the Norwegian movie. The Ameri- In the American movie, this guy is really funny. And he's like chewing scenery. He knows he's in a black comedy. Uh, his character – like. Th- the villain in the American uh, Cold Pursuit is, I think, the best thing about the, the movie. The guy's just hilarious. His name is Tom Bateman. Uh, he's supposed to be a rich, yuppie, brutal crime lord, and he's freaking hilarious. So that's the main reason to watch uh, Cold Pursuit. So. What if, what if he goes, I saw it on King of Queens. This is that. Why would, why would uh, Kevin James know to wrap a body in chicken wire? That's the joke. That to me is funnier. <laughs> I'm not getting Tom on this on my joke pitches. Interesting. Damn well, it. speaking of things that are funny, Kelly Wand, why joke. are we doing yeah. this this three by three, and what is it exactly? Huh? It kind of grew on me. Uh, I hope you get your licks in. Uh, Keep going. I hope. Uh, <laughs> I hope some of uh, your budding ideas have good taste. Uh, well, okay. I didn't know you'd get that many. Okay, are there more? I think you've taken it as far as you can, Kelly Wand. Is it a budding topic? He just did that one, Dingus. Uh, oh. Sorry. <laughs> it was a good I did two at once. I did two for... Uh, well, Dingus, know... let... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kelly Wand. 
Uh, be careful that you don't uh, grab something too hot with those tongs. Yeah, yeah, you've 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 exhausted oh. the potential here, Kelly. <laughs> Sorry. That was my impression of Dingus's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Dingus, you're introducing next month's topic, so why don't you start us out and tell Decent us? Decent had said that you would have liked it. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, the the accent makes a big difference. Don't grab it with your tongs. <laughs> See. I felt like Can I was watching please, the gray Tom? for a moment. Oh, the gray. See, he's funny. Liam Neeson's hysterical in that movie. Hang on, let me pull your foot out of this river. Whoa. Oh, I guess it's stuck. Ah! Damn. No. All right. Dingus, wow. thoughts on tongues and movies? <laughs> Jesus Christ. What? This is a, Dingus has the best voice. Just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> now let's listen to it. All right, so uh, the the uh, quote from the movie that I would choose for my third favorite tongue in movies, um, <laughs> I'm dumb, is uh, oh no, I can't watch, and it's uh, when Java sticks out his tongue, uh, and, <laughs> and that's what you meant earlier. I think you said Java. No, I okay. said Java. Um, uh, I didn't even get it. All right, I'm and, dumb. And Leia is just like, Ugh. but still kind of into it, right? No, she's not into it at all. Uh, uh, but she I, just, him I, out. He gets I do see the, Yeah, and that's great too. I I love the way that Jabba's Jabba the Hut. Now uh, we know he's Let me get Jabba the Connor. Let me give his full name. Uh, uh, I love the way that tongue looks and how disgusting it is. Um, uh, and how Leia is just, oh my God, I really have to deal with this right now. Uh, when, um, I'm guessing it was a practical effect. It's not, you know, CG. Um, uh, I, I just love that gross, slimy, huge protuberant tongue of Jabba the Hutt. So that's my third. Her chain's so thin to do that. That's kind of the bullshit part of it. Kelly Wan, do you think Dingus is going to be able to do all Star Wars movies for this topic? I say Leah and Jabba. No, there'll be a Star Trek one. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't Spock, uh, when he has to mind meld someone, doesn't he have to lick him first? Yeah, Mike... he's, he's like, remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike... And then McCoy's like, eyebrow shoots up. Okay, what? Uh, my yes, third favorite tongue. I don't really have favorite tongues, so unfortunately, some of these are dumb. This, the, and it's especially I didn't realize I didn't. Here's what I'm reappreciating about my tongue picks is how stupid these are. And here's a line from my first one. Oh look, frost. Oh, that's a great one, you dumbass. You well, like here's that. my problem with that. So it's from Dumb and Dumber. It's the famous scene where uh, 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 Jeff, not Jeff, Jeff Daniels uh, is on a ski lift and he licks the pole. He goes, "Oh, look, Frosty!" He licks the pole and his tongue is stuck. And then eventually, like, he has to get it pulled off, and it, it's just a dumb gag. Um, he goes, "Oh, look, Frosty!" Christmas story. Yeah, uh, he that's goes, oh, exactly what I thought. Uh, what what? Christmas, Christmas story. story. Does he do this? Does Jeff Bridges lick a pole in Christmas Story too? Yeah. No, a little kid. <laughs> yeah, that's um, wait, little kid. I remember as a kid licking uh, the the in the freezer section in the grocery store, licking it and just being feeling completely betrayed by ice when it ripped a piece of my tongue off and thinking, what? what why does that happen? Uh, and not realizing. Fuck you, ice. 
Uh, well, yeah, because you know you've eaten a, you've eaten ice cream and a popsicle before, and you don't have the sense that oh, well, cold metal will grab something like like you don't have. So I remember just being in a freezer section, leaning in like licking the frost as a little kid, and being completely taken aback that I injured myself and thinking why does that's not fair. Um, so at any rate. Wait, so first of all, you're, mm-hmm. you're licking things in a grocery store. Yeah, it's ice. Are I mean, you what's wrong with licking ice? Licking stuff? And there's ice exposed, Tom. And Tom's leaning over in the freezer section and then getting stuck in the freezer. Continue. <laughs> I never and claimed also, to be a smart child. Ice. Betrayed by ice is a that's good how title. And that's how Tom sees it. Not, I'm an idiot. He's like, <laughs> fucking ice, man. It's sinister. I mean, why <laughs> can't you? Tongue. And then Look. someone drops that ice in their drink and tastes Tom's tongue later and goes, that's weird. Wait, why is someone chipping ice out of a fr- – not – it's not – it's the ice – it's the frost that forms in the ice cream section. It's not like I was licking ice that's for sale. On what? What it's like on the, you know, it's like a big open freezer where no, you. I get you, that you're licking yeah. the actual container. That's even the grosser. Part of the grocery store. You're not it's just shoplifting. <laughs> you're an exhibitionist. Nobody was going to use this ice that I licked. It's Go not like I was messing. <laughs> Tom's all, look, free ice. <laughs> Tom, everything in the store is free. <laughs> you can take the carts home, too. It, it's serious. Like, have you guys ever done it? It hurts. Like, it rips a piece of your no. tongue off. Uh, no, I saw a movie. I think I saw a Christmas Story when I was a kid. And then I was like, ah, better not do that. <laughs> yeah, better not put my... Or Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> my tongue on a cold pole. Well, so in Dumb and Dumber, the thing is, so it, it's... They do that the still whole... It tastes like a pole. That's they do the goofy get. thing. But in the, the freezer section, though, it's like a layer of just frost, of just ice. Pole. Like, you don't know that you're licking something metal. You think, oh, look, it's just solid ice. I'm going to lick... snow... Right, no. right, exactly. It's just like eating the snow. snow. Like Kelly Wan just like licking snow. You would never expect that licking snow would injure your tongue. Right. See? So when Good Jeff point. Daniels gets, Yeti... his, gets his tongue stuck and he's on the little the ski lift and it goes around again, uh, some kids get on the <laughs> ski lift. And as he's going around for the second time, he says to the kids, and the whole joke is he's having to say it with his tongue stuck on the pole. He says to the kids, you wouldn't happen to have a cup of warm water, would you? Now, my issue with that, how is that it joke. that he how yeah. is it that he is dumb enough to lick a pole but smart enough to know what to do to get a piece of flesh unstuck from a frozen pole? Uh, I assume that someone in the ski lift in a ver- in a trip up that he we didn't see someone told him that, like a doctor. I might accept I would accept you should, that. You get some kids to bring you a cup right. of warm water. Right. Oh, I got to ski now. Well, at any reason, at any rate, it's a plot hole in Dumb and Dumber. That'll be a so. hundred dollars. Kelly, yeah, what is your third? I like it. What is your third favorite tongue scene in a movie? Uh, my number three. <laughs> I guess it's uh. Well, I was still thinking about. It. Never mind. Your thing. Um. My number three is in the movie Species, where Natasha Henstridge uh, gets – she's getting uh, French kissed irascibly. Is that a word? So she kisses him, and her tongue shoots out the back of his skull. Oh. And then, the, uh, and then at the MTV Movie Awards, the actor who played that guy, like, I, I'm now going to do this. And he, like, grabbed her on stage and, like, made her kiss him. Like, a total Me Too moment. And she kind of was cool about it because she's Canadian. And Tasha Henstridge, she didn't care. But I'd be scared she'd be in the junk. But, but I don't know. Yes, Kelly, one, how many species movies do you think there are? Three? I'm guessing four. 
I don't know for sure, but you're right. There are at least three. There's a lot. The third There's one's more got than I really, uh, The third one's got some good nudity in it. I saw that one. Are they all no, the Natasha Hinstridge, or did she bail? The on second that? one's. No, she's in the second one. It's really bad. It's on Mars and Randy Quaid's in it. Whoa! Uh, that, you're making me want to see it. It's really gory, so you'd like it. Like, there's a lot of sex deaths. Okay. There. But there's Who? also a guy species guy in it. Did uh, Did anyone have note direct species? Uh, I feel I like really we should know who that, that is. Much. I'm betting it was all Peter Hyams. <laughs> Kelly, Kelly, one, do you do you know who do you know who Dingus is making fun of? The father of the guy who did Black Summer. Uh, really? Uncool, Dingus. Uncool. Well, he's... he would make fun of oh. uh, David Bowie's style. <laughs> Roger Donaldson. Haha. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Peter Hyams because of 2010. Is I know. Roger Donaldson. Patriot Roger Donaldson's like the bounty. Uh, let's see, cocktail. Dante's Peak. The recruit. The November Man. Smash wow. Palace. <laughs> Didn't Adrian Brody do that to um, Halle Berry? Shoot his tongue through the back of her skull? Yeah, at the Oscars. (laughs) That was the Razzies for Catwoman. All right, well, Dingus, it's time for you to give us a line from your second favorite tongue scene in a movie. All right, uh, here's a line from it. Um, The doctors managed to reset her jaw more or less. And save one of her eyes. His pulse never rose above eighty-five, even when he ate her tongue. Okay. That stink is a Star Trek of crime. <laughs> so this is from the Silence of the Lambs, um, and uh, it, it's not. You, you don't. What do you? What do you? You don't see the tongue. See, no, the you don't. In a, and that's what I, that's what I love about the scene. He's, he, uh, Dr. Chilton, is showing her a picture to – to. it's kind of a weird domination odd thing that the doctor is doing. I mean he's got an odd – he's an odd character. Um, he's sort of the, the, domin, the dominator of this, this mental hospital. Uh, I feel like uh, I'm being gaslit. Go you're on. not. Um, because later in – in another iteration of the movies, uh, Julianne Moore's character actually sees video footage of this happening. Uh, and I prefer this version of it where he's just showing her a picture and Jonathan Demi is smart enough not to show us this, but just to make us think about what that means when he swallowed her tongue. Um, the, you know, he fakes a heart attack uh, and when the nurse leans over him, he ravages her face and uh, and bites off her tongue and swallows it. Yeah. And his uh, his pulse rate never goes above 85 when he's doing this. And it's all in your imagination what's going on. And Dr. Chilton is trying to, um, I don't know, uh, tell Clarice Starling who's in charge. And he does it in this sort of. Uh, I'm just warning you. This is this is what you have to look out for. This is what he can do, but really, what he's doing is getting a little bit of a thrill from it um, because he thinks she's really pretty and he wants to take her out. And she's already said no. She she's not going to go out with him as as polite as she is. Uh, um, so he's he's kind of doing this in his weird domination move. Uh, and I love the I love 
the sense of the scene without the gore of the scene being shown because the movie will build toward uh, being more gory as it goes on. This is very early in the scene when Clarice Starling is first sent there um, by Jack Crawford uh, to interview Hannibal Lecter. And before she can go to Hannibal Lecter, she has to talk to uh, Dr. Chilton and Dr. Chilton is just this creepy creep. And just the idea of him showing that picture to her, it's, it almost looks like a Polaroid. I don't know if it is a Polaroid uh, of what actually happened um, is horrifying. It's more horrifying to me than actually seeing the idea, seeing somebody clip off their tongue in a way. Uh, because my imagination does all the work and she just has to retain her composure and say, okay, I can take that. I mean, I can understand what you're showing me, um, rather than be submissive to him. Uh, and there's a weird sort of, uh, thing about, um, uh, tongue later in the movie when, multiple MIGs uh, when Hannibal Lecter instructs multiple MIGs to swallow his tongue, which isn't really a thing um, uh, in order to retaliate and uh, sort of get on the good side of Clarice Starling for what multiple MIGs does, does to her when she goes down to interview Hannibal Lecter for the first time. Uh, so there, there are two tongue sequences in this movie, but the, the tongue that I really love is the one that you don't see. All right, well, Dingus, I'm about to put to shame your Silence of the Lambs pick with a truly nightmarish version of a tongue scene. You think that's bad? Here's a line from it. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Uh. So many to choose from. What is that? <laughs> so many to choose from. Stupid is what it is. So dumb. What? Uh, it's so you dumb. You made all your one. choices. You picked. Choices no, no. I, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do a good one later. I promise. But this one, this is Nightmare on Elm Street. Dingus, where the tongue le- oh. sticks out of the phone. He's <laughs> so, enhancing seduction. It is so stupid. Here's what's stupid about it. Wes Craven, by the way, such, such a. What's Wait, that? a tongue comes out of a phone? So Nightmare on Elm Street is 1984, <laughs> and boy does it show. So there's a scene where uh, Freddy Krueger's terrorizing. The, and by the way, who is that girl? I watched the scene from it, and I don't. She who's the, the lead? Third one. Uh, who's the lead actress in Nightmare on Elm Street? Like, what happened to her? How come she didn't go on to become Some Heather Langenkamp? Yeah, but I didn't recognize her. Like, I don't think I've seen her in anything since then. What's up with that? She's not. Well, she's just. Um, she gets killed off in three. Well, uh, oh, so she did at least a couple. Okay, well, I guess that's what happened to her. She did Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Um, so uh, Freddy Krueger's terrorizing her, and uh, at a certain point, she uh, like she's worried about uh, – she's getting phone calls that she's she doesn't know who's calling. Someone's terrorizing her over the phone, so she yanks the cord out of the phone, out of the wall, so that the phone won't work anymore, and she wraps up the phone in the cord, and she puts it onto the bed, and she's like, she's done with the phone. And then she's walking out of the room. Yeah. The phone rings again. Why would you take that call? So she what looks at idiots? it. Well, it's not only that, Kelly Wan, but she looks at it, and then Wes Craven, there's a shot of the phone on the bed with the cord wrapped around it. Wes Craven has to show us her walking up, holding the broken cord that's been pulled down the wall up to her face, close up, to remind us 
Look, this was pulled out of the wall 10 seconds ago, remember? She should look at the camera while she does it. <laughs> it's, it's that bad. It really is incompetent. It's like, Wes Craven, you think we don't remember that it was just pulled out of the wall in the same scene. We saw it wrapped up. You're going to do a shot, a specific – you're going to edit in a shot of her looking at the ca- – ugh, it's so dumb. How could they do a shot like that? That just seems impossible even with CG to do that effect. Like you'd need to have an audio file of a phone ringing. And you'd have to have the, the phone up. Right, a lot of so post. See how they can do that. A lot of post-production work. And then furthermore, yeah, so what? What they do is she picks it up, and Freddy Krueger says, "I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy." And then a tongue sticks out of the the phone, yeah. and it's just a it's a. Not only did they, I didn't remember this. Not only did they put a little fake tongue sticking out of there, it's a practical effect, of course. That was John Saxon's real tongue, by the way. They put a <laughs> a, a mouth, like a fake mouth and chin, on the actual phone. Like they try yeah. to build a prosthetic mouth on the phone that the tongue can come out of, and it looks so dumb. That makes me like it more, actually. Is it like this? Because that's sex toy. Yeah, it's like, like it's, Fred, it's like it's trying to French kiss her is the joke. I like that Fred Krueger went to the trouble of putting the chin on that yeah. she, the character he's torturing won't even notice. Like, she'll just be, oh, God, there's a tongue touching me, but we're, it's for our benefit. Right, yeah. Like the music in Cat Marvel. Yeah. Exactly. I like that you can call him Fred. He was called Fred in the first one. He got called oh. Fr- Freddy later. He was like, oh, his tongue antics make him cute. <laughs> I'm confused by the whole idea of a phone with a cord. I didn't know that was a thing. Right? 1984. Weird, huh? Yeah. Well, the tongue is like another cord. Kelly Wan, what is your (laughs) second favorite tongue in a movie? I like tongues. Yeah. That. Uh, Well, there's... there's, uh, I'll have a Fred Krueger. I'll give you some Krueger. There's a tongue Krueger joke in the first four, I think. I think even in the second one he does could be wrong okay nightmare three dream warriors there's a mute guy there's the mute kid not the wizard master the mute kid and he's super hot for his nurse it's like a hot blonde nurse and uh his fred krueger uh gaslights him by the new the nurse coming and taking her uh, uniform off so she's topless and then she ties him to a bed with uh tongues her tongues like she spits it out of her mouth four times. What? So all of his so he's spread eagled out of bed and the hot nurse has spit tongues at him and then his bed descends into hell and hellfire. See he's mute, so he's tongue tied. See? Oh my god. Wow. Kelly Wan, you yeah. made that up. Is that a really that's really a thing. That's in there. Yeah. That's what I, and Ebert cited that scene's like, This is why we need N C seventeen. This is way more than Temple of Doom, the nurse scene from Nightmare 3, which I thought was hysterical. Like, it does make me appreciate that Wes Craven – did Wes Craven do all the sequels? Do you know? Did he do any of them actually? He didn't, do, he didn't do two for some reason, and then he came back for three like, see, you guys don't know how to do it right. I'll show you. This makes me appreciate they, that this is the guy that would go on to do uh, Scream, I guess. Right. And Nightmare 4 was Rennie Harlan. Ew. There. Right. Yeah. They were both budd- budding directors. Did I already make that joke? That's three dingus. Uh, where, so dingus. That, that was your number two, really, Kelly Wan, or did you just sub that in just now? What? All you right. don't think that's one of the best ones? Dingus, what is your favorite tongue scene in a movie? Give us a line from it. All right. Um, she hath no tongue to call her hands to wash. What did you say? Nothing. I like your choices. They're really cool. 
All right, this is exactly what I envisioned when I picked this topic. This is from the movie Titus. Um, and Uh, or Anthony Hopkins, fuck's sake. Yeah, that's right. Hopkins all for tongues. All right, okay, (laughs) be that guy. This is Lavinia in Titus Andronicus, and uh, it's just the movie version of Titus because I, I know I thought Tom would probably object to this because it was a play, not a movie. Uh, but, um, I, I'm just, I, the moment you brought this up, Kelly, as a topic, I thought of Lavinia, uh, and, and the reason that her tongue is, is, uh, to be kind, (laughs) taken out and her hands are taken off, uh, by, uh, by the two brothers, Demetrius and Chiron, who um, rape her and uh, who ravage her. She's this virtuous daughter of Titus uh, is so that she can't tell or even write uh, who has done this to her. She can't indicate it. And her, and there's this moment where her uncle comes to find her and finds her standing on this tree stump and he, and he's saying, why, why isn't she talking to me? Why aren't you talking to me? And she turns and, uh, Julie Taymor does this wonderful, um, really evocative for me. I mean, Titus is one of my favorite movies ever. I was shocked by uh, every time I watch it, I'm shocked by how great it is. It's just got such amazing style and amazing pacing, uh, incredible acting, and, of course, the words of Shakespeare. Uh, but really, really well put together. It's just really well put together. And so Lavinia turns to her uncle, who is approaching her and, and just asking why why aren't you talking to me what's going on and she opens her mouth and just blood flows through it uh as she looks at him and her hands have been replaced with tree branches so that particular moment is so moving to me and so overwhelming as uh as a scary and crazy if you go back to the brothers uh making making fun of her is a terrible way to put it but um i don't know how else to put it um after they've ravaged her and raped her uh and taken her tongue in her hands and they're just like goofing around and laughing at her and run off in the mud um and then her uncle who loves her takes her back to her father which sets in motion the other events of the play. Um, but that visual image of her turning to her uncle and to us, basically to the camera and just basically gouging blood, just coming out of her mouth because she doesn't have a tongue and she can't speak. Um, so it's Titus. Kelly one. Is that allowed by the way? Can we do stage plays? I've given up on Dingus. <laughs> Seen Evil Dead, Dingus? There's like tree. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Plays. That's good. 
Uh, I actually know J Julie Taylor's production from uh, here. I'm going to show off a little bit, Dingus. Uh, I saw her production of Titus in London with Brian Cox playing Titus Andronicus instead wow. of that 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 hack Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, he was your date to that? <laughs> yeah, he me and Brian. Costume? Yeah. This is before, well, I mean, this was way before anybody. How did they known. stage? Who are you going as? <laughs> how did they stage what I just talked about? I don't remember the tree thing, uh, but I do remember things like how they faked uh, when Titus severs his own hand. Uh, but I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember specifically the the Lavinia reveals how how she staged those. Uh, and it was the I, you know I, the movie Titus. See how old is that? Like I don't know how close even her doing the stage production it's in the nineteen ninety nine. Oh yeah, so there's probably at least ten years in there. So there's a ten year gap. So okay. I, I doubt it was that direct uh, an interpretation of her stage version of it. Um, but if you watch the beginning of that movie and the way that the the way that she stages the the film version of it with them marching in and and just the choreography of it, it immediately for me it it grabs you. It's just this weird soldier choreography. And I don't, I can't think of another way to put it. They're, the soldiers look like they're in sort of a weird soldier dance, and I think it this immediately. Is called marching. Oh, marching! Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, is this the one Cruel Intentions is based on? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Wild Things actually. Oh, oh. oh. All right, so uh, my. First favorite tongue sing is from a David Mamet's Speed the Plow, the the production on Broadway with Madonna. No, it's not All true. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's a line from my first favorite tongue scene. Ready? Wild well, things. Speaking of tongues. Here we go. Did you guys hear the line? Uh, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Is that allowed? Yeah, Sweet. I guess. Well, because you have to you have to use your tongue to do it, and it's such a weird, quirky, idiosyncratic thing, and it's used to great effect in a couple of scenes. Uh, it's the noise that Charlie makes in Hereditary with her tongue, when she does that that little clock, clock sound. Uh, that she, it's just a habit that she has early in the movie, but there's two scenes, I won't spoil them, there's two scenes later in the movie where the, they're, that, that little noise that you make with your tongue is hugely important. Those are my favorite tongue scenes. Um, all right, so Kelly Wand... This is your topic. You've obviously got a great tongue scene in mind. What is it? Yeah, mine's dumb, too. No offense. Uh, my number one tongue's alien. This tongue, because it's got teeth inside. <laughs> that's that was that's no tongue. Yeah, it is. That's a tongue. Look at it. He sticks it out. That's what tongues do. But which scene, though? Obi-Wan says, that's no tongue. Uh... The one where he yawns at Ripley. Right. Shuttle. <laughs> uh, that's not a tongue. What do you call it? Uh, a, a protruding mouth. A shooty. A shooty mouth. It's a shooty mouth. It's a, uh, what would a layman call it? Not a scientist. Gotcha. I mean, I guess it is a tongue. Yeah, sure. It's yeah. not a tongue. What is it then? I don't know what it is. Proboscis. It's more a tongue than your choices, crazy bastard. What are you talking? <laughs> I mean, it's not his nose. What are you do? Why are you talking to me like Kevin Costner all of a sudden? I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to get back from that. It takes me to a place I don't like to go, Dingus. All right. Kelly, one. What do the listeners have for their favorite tongues in movies? Oh wait, hang on. I forgot. Talk amongst yourselves. Talk amongst yourselves. The <sighs> listeners, boy, how about those listeners? We got to really thank them for. Uh, being there for us. Okay. 
Enough about the listeners. Here's what how, they wrote in. How would we thank them? What would we use to tell what them? What we used to call such a thing? A thing hypothesis? <laughs> a tongue. Luke S. writes, my theme is Takashi Miyake. Miyake movies? Miyake. This is going to be movies. this is going to be gruesome. A real no. embarrassment of riches. Itchy the Killer. I've never seen this movie. Didn't it get banned or something? Itchy the Killer. Um. Yeah, but don't read too much. I mean, it's just one of the. It was like hyper violent, and somebody got upset and didn't pick it up for a theater chain or like it didn't. You can see it. It's not banned in any meaningful sense of the word. Is he the audition dude? Yeah, uh, Takashi Miike has some. He's made like a hundred movies. The guy's crazily prolific. Yeah. And he's really into tongues, like Wes Craven. He's like Asian Wes Craven. <laughs> Hakihara, a sadistic yakuza enforcer, receives bad information. Todonobu Asano, by the way, Japanese actor. Oh, really? very nice. I like that guy. Do you yeah, like this movie, Tom? Um, it's I uh, I, I watched it. Like, a lot of Takashi like Miike is is just sort of like. Like Gosper Noe, like, yeah, let's just see how extreme I can be just to fuck with you. Uh, and, you know, Audition, I think, is brilliant, but a, a lot of his other, like, hyper-violent stuff, I was just like, okay, whatever. watched one about delinquents. There was a girl I liked. Battle Royale? No, that's good. Is that him? That's actually not him, though. No, that's not him. I like that, too. Uh, Akihara, a sadistic Yakuza enforcer, receives bad information that causes him to horrifically torture a rival gang member. As penance, he presents himself to the opposing gang's boss, slowly slices off his own tongue with a katana. And holds it out as an offering. This clearly disturbs all the uh, gangsters in the room. The boss takes the dog, though he seems to be motivated by fear of the obviously insane man in front of him, rather than forgiveness. Just at that moment, Kakihara's phone rings. He answers it casually, speaking in muffled. This is out of his mouth. Yeah, like I, when I picked the topic, I wasn't thinking specifically. It's gonna be horror, almost horror. like well, tongue and solid of freak us freak us out of uh tom what do you think i know uh Tadanabu asano from battleship and last life in the universe thor oh right all right that's how that should be spoken <laughs> <laughs> audition lovesick protagonist ayaba loses track of the object of his affections after an awkward hotel tryst during his quest to track her down. He discovers that a bar she used to work out is closed following the murder of its proprietor. Helpful passerby informs Ayama. And when the body is discovered, he's accompanied by several extra fingers, a spare ear, and one bonus tongue. Later on, we're treated to a scene featuring the former owner of the body parts as he crawls out of a sack and does his best to slurp down a bowl of vomit with his tongueless mouth. Rated G for gah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's for everybody. Yeah. I mean, you got to learn sometime. You got to be ready for the post-apocalypse. You got to watch. Going to survive in the new world. Gozu. This is a scene that I can't really explain because it comes from one of those David Lynch-style movies that only makes sense to either very smart or magic insane people. Another Yakuza enforcer <laughs> called Minami suddenly and inexplicably encounters a sort of minotaur wearing tidy whiteies standing in his hotel room at night. Thick ropes of semen drip unpleasantly from its mouth as it steps uh. forward and hands Minami a burrito or something. Then it sticks out its horrible slimy tongue and licks Minami's face up and down for way too long. Minami looks uncomfortable, but he just stands there and takes it till he passes out. Oh, I think I'd pass out as soon as possible. That's always my strategy. Rhiannon, 
McLean, Dear Tom Diggis and Kelly Wan, I can only think of one significant tongue. In Itchy the Killer, the super cool Kingland enforcer <laughs> Kakihara offers a severed tongue as an act of penance to his boss. As Kakihara is a bit of a masochist, he quite enthusiastically removes the offending organ. Sitting down and tying on a neon green kerchief as a bib, he takes a knife to himself. After presenting the bloody offer to the horrified gang, Kakihara's phone rings and he casually takes the call. Guards Rihanna. Did they did they collude on that pick? I don't know, but I like it when it's the same thing picked because it's like, like I said, it's more votes for that thing. Right. Yeah. No. So, so far, yeah. Itchy the killer is the winning tongue, right? Right. Now. The most popular tongue scene. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. His name is Kikihara. His name is Connor Kardihara. <laughs> gotcha. Silence of the lambs. Jesus. No tongues, midnight red. No midnight tongue. Oh. The Hunt for Red October would have been a good title for a movie about a tongue. <laughs> Ian Slutz writes, Whitest boy on the beach. While it's, some might not believe. It's Slutz. Really? Yeah. I'm sorry. That's all right. I, I see what I want, I guess. <laughs> While some might not believe that micro... I'm sorry, Ian. My apologies. I'm an idiot. Whitest boy on the beach. While some might not believe that micro musicals are actual movies, I know that no jail can hold me. A few weeks ago, when I saw a member of Fat White Family sponge down with a severed cow tongue, and it was certainly the least expected thing I saw that day. The timing felt like fate, demanding that cow's tongue be mentioned in this month's 3x3. Three three. See, that's what I was thinking. Like, cow's tongue? Is it read that? I, I, was kind of, I thought it would be a weird, like, how would you know? Never mind. Pizza the Hut. When I heard tongue on the podcast, this was the first thing I thought of. I guess you see that? See what's no. going on? I don't. Jabba. Jabba? At first, I didn't know why Pizza the Hut's tongue stuck in my mind as a child, but once I watched a clip, it made perfect sense. The prosthetic tongue is glued to the actor's chin, while B-grade puppetry controls the lips. The result is that the tongue keeps jutting in a wooden but excitable manner throughout the scene. Was it like Dob Deloise or something? That typecast? Park Chioi Woon. I'm sure most people won't recognize the name of this private prison manager played by Dal Su O. However, I can't imagine anybody who saw Old Boy, I thought of this one, in a theater will forget his tongue. I was circling around this one. When Midsick Choi begins the hammering interrogation, the audience is offered a close-up of Dal Su O tonguing the claw, watching his tongue huge on the screen, feebly lapping against the cold steel of that hammer was one of the most uncomfortable things I've seen in my life. Oh, it's not the tongue part I was thinking of. What was the tongue one you were thinking of? Where he cuts it off. Old boy. Man, the Japanese like taking their tongues off. That's Korean, isn't it? Shut up, Kelly Wand. Nerd. (laughs) (sighs) Of an Asia nerd. (laughs) Ironically. Nick D. Hi, guys. Number three, my third favorite tug is the orderly at Pescadero Metal Hospital who licks Sarah Connor's face. Oh, that's a good one. That's disgusting. Yeah. Him. See? Tom doesn't like that. But look what he's missing out on. Wait, he really like lays what? it on Terminator 2. Oh, right. No, I don't. Even despite this thing? I prefer the original. Yeah, I don't know. People, people who just make sequel, who do remakes and call them sequels. Nope, lame. Yeah, but I like the cop. 
<laughs> Robert Patrick, he's, he's sure. cool. Yeah. He adds a lot to the movie. He's not the cop. <laughs> he's not a real cop, Kelly Wan, in case you're I'm the right. cop of the movie. <laughs> I'm the cop of cop. <laughs> Stop not liking it. Um. Boy, see? Now do you like it? <laughs> hearing it that outburst. He's naked, by the way, when he says this. I know. That's see, would it would have been so awesome in that movie if he just stayed naked. The rest of the movie's like that. Well, that's a tough. I'll be back with this to the real cops. Anyway. <clears throat> the inmate in Terminator 2 really lays it on thick like a cat. It's gross and he's gross and it's really satisfying when she smashes him in the face later. See, the, there's a there's a sequence in The Highwaymen, uh, sorry to derail us for a second, that's very much the Terminator gunshot sequence uh, where uh, Kevin Costner's character just goes in and starts just selecting firearms and goes, I'm just going to take them all. It's really reminded me of that Terminator gun shop sequence. Is that something gun shop owners did think about before the Terminator came out? Like that could happen. Yeah, I'll just give someone all the like aren't holdups in gun shops. They're either gotta be really common or never happen. Right? I don't know. Well, you know. Come on, Terminator's smarter than that guy? Seems implausible. Number two, I like it in Species when a dude tries to date rape Syl, so she kisses him and her tongue punctures the back of his head. Quality kill. <laughs> kind of, but you do it on stage. Kelly One, that one is now tied with Ichi the Killer. It is? Yep. I like, I like that you're keeping the score. Yep. It's like news crawls. <laughs> Number one, my best tug is Heath Ledger's tug in the Dark Knight. Oh, that's way... a good one. Yeah, it is. That's the only one where it's like the tongue in question. I love the way he kind of flicks it out to lick his lips. Like I like the way he, he uses his tongue to affect the way he speaks. Yeah. And the, the sound of it as yeah. he's like moving his tongue around his mouth. That's a great yeah. pick. I didn't even think of that. Usually the actors try to pretend he's not wearing makeup or Bane's mouthpiece. He just has to act around it and go, ah, oh, it's fucking stupid comic books. <laughs> Heath Ledger kind of like, no, he wants to work when he talks. He wants you to watch the tongue when he's talking. But it also sounds so wet and weird. I mean, yeah. the way that he speaks, he, it's like he's got too much fluid in his mouth. Like it's part of the backstory that, that we never find out. Or like the, the fact that violence makes him salivate. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And that clowns don't have tongues. What? Well, they don't do. They don't lick their lips. You never see a clown licking his lips because they have like the fake lips. I'm sure, that's yeah. what you were thinking. Arthur Giovanna Jelly writes. I was thinking about this one too. Number three. Oh, wasn't the one I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, Jurassic Park. One of the things that Laura Dern examines. When she encounters the sick triceratops is the dinosaur's tongue. She knows the tongue is interesting before proceeding with her attempt to diagnose the animal's malady. Oh, that's interesting. That's a very interesting. I, I didn't what I didn't realize was and I watched A Perfect World again this week because of John Lee Hancock. Uh, she's in that movie too. And she does some of the same stuff, but not with tongues. But when she's like like 
probing like the vesicles in the tongue and like pinching at it. That's a really good pick. I thought he was gonna go with Lost World when the T Rex licks Julian or waterfall. Number two, Murder by Death. When James Coco, the Poirot spoof, mentions that he does not trust the butler, Alec Guinness, his chauffeur, James Crawwell tells him that the butler is blind. Coco doubts this, so he makes a bunch of funny faces at the butler, many of which involve him sticking out his tongue. Guinness doesn't react. Coco concludes he must be blind, otherwise he would have laughed. Such self-assurance. Number one, fate <laughs> slash stay night colon, Heaven's Field 2 Lost Butterfly. (laughs) Ah, I think the file got lost. What? (laughs) Uh, Damn computer. Work. (laughs) No, seriously. Fate forward slash stay night, colon, Heaven's Field hyphen 2 period Lost Butterfly. During their participation in the Holy Grail War, Shiro Emiya, Rinto Saka, and the Heroic Spirit Archer must battle Shinji Mato and the Heroic Spirit Rider in order to liberate Sakura Mato. They are ultimately successful in this endeavor, but Sakura is severely wounded and must be healed by Kiri Koto Mine, a genuine fake priest. Odo Mine's healing is not perfect, however, meaning Sakura needs human blood to slake her thirst and keep her healthy. Shiro helps her by slicing one of his fingers and allowing Sakura to lick the blood off of the appendage. There is a rather long, almost uncomfortably so, this shot of Sakura using her tongue to consume Shiro's blood. What's the name of this movie again, Kelly Wand? Oh, fate forward slash stay night, heavens feel too lost butterfly. <laughs> I think it's Norwegian. <laughs> it's a comedy. Because Norway came up with Roman numerals. That's why we call them. It's a strange scene, but it does a good job showing how far Shiro will go to help Sakura. Well, that's why it's number one, I think we <laughs> oh damn that's the last one we almost made it yay <laughs> tongues listeners how could i have forgotten to do that all right so runners fun. up right now it's a tie between uh, ichi the killer and uh species um i guess we're gonna have to have the supreme court rule on the winner but otherwise runners up i really love it when uh God, is it? I can't. I'm blanking on his name. Who licks the bowling ball in Big Lebowski? John Turturro. That's a good John one, Turturro's Dingus. How did you not yeah. pick that? Oh, I love yeah. that. You picked so, Star Wars instead Jesus. of that. That's a great one. That that um, that is one of my favorite covers. Uh, the Gypsy Kings version of Hotel California is one of my favorite things. And watching him lick that bowling ball is just so creepy and wonderful. <laughs> I can say as a child, I've never licked a bowling ball, so I didn't do that one. All right. Learned your lesson. And also, uh, Matt Damon uh, famously um, basically rubber-banded his tongue when he got his tongue injured (laughs) in True Grit. Uh, He 
actually rubber banded it or like put some sort of like a hair clip on it or something so that he he couldn't speak properly rather than just fake it. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's go in the distance. Yeah. Why? What's what's the effect he's trying to? Kelly Wan, put a rubber band around your tongue and you'll find out. Yeah. I want, my character has a rubber band around his tongue because it's the old west. <laughs> so, welcome Shia. All right. Well, Dingus, what is next month's three by three topic, and how can the listeners participate? All right. Well, next month's topic is gloves. Okay. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> so your favorite uh, glove moments in movies. You can do this however you want to do it. Um, so gloves, and you will write in to 3x3 at quarter2three.com, quarter2three.com spelled out. Uh, send in your ideas for uh, what your favorite gloves are in movies, glove scenes, how gloves are used, whatever you want to do with it. It's fine with Are me. shoes gloves? Are like shoes, foot gloves? They're foot gloves. Socks are foot gloves. No. Right. Uh, Condoms? You know what I mean. Um, and, uh, what? Hats? Anyway. Hey, hey, Silence of the Lambs, I'm just, there's a scene I'm thinking of. I want to make sure I get the rules right so I don't embarrass myself by being a buffoon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you don't have to send in three. Send in, if you have one, if you have two, fine. Send in as many as you have. Uh, we'll only read three of them. Dingus Uh, likes reading anime, just a heads up. He Dingus can't read anime like Kelly can. Gloves. Everybody knows that. So if you only have one thing about gloves that you like, send that in. That's totally cool with me uh, and with us. So 3x3 at quarter3.com. And get that to us by midnight, uh, June 2nd, midnight Pacific, and we'll read that on the air. Also, we're going to see a movie called The Hustle next week with Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. If you see that, uh, send your thoughts to 3x3 at quarter2.com. Uh, and we'll include your comments as we talk about it. Join us for the Ooh. hustle. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian McCliskey. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. After I made End of Days, in which I find the Irish devil Gabriel Boone, and said, how can you make a sequel to something called End of Days? So I told them my next movie was called The Sixth Day. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm cold in between. Counting. One, two, three, eat a people knows the second one in the series oh my god i can't believe what i just witnessed i prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky observation reflection faith and determination in this way we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us all right and we have what eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Oregai six is that a question yes sir? walter that's a question that is correct i guess on earth Wandered into Jupiter. Uh, let's redo the math. Uh, uh, Grandpa! No! <laughs> Very good.